In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2023 seminar coverage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pathfinder Remaster panel, a part of PaizoCon 2023. I am Jason Bullman, the Director of Game Design here at Paizo, and I am joined by several illustrious members of our Rules and Lore team here today to talk to you about the Pathfinder Remaster project. But before we jump into that, why don't I let them go down the horn and introduce themselves? Uh, we'll start with you, James. Take it away. Hi, everyone. I'm James Case, senior designer at uh, the Rules and Lore team, and we've done a lot of cool stuff on this remaster, so happy and excited to talk about it. I am Michael Sayre, the design manager here at the Rules and Lore team, and I'm also really looking forward to getting to share some of this remaster information with you. Hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer, and you're catching me in my two hours of not working directly on those books. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my role in this is to serve as moderator and push my team to give you as many spoilers as they can possibly come up with in the next two hours. But before we launch too deep into that, I figured, you know, this was a good time to talk about what the remaster is, what its goals are, what it's all about, and frankly, to show off the cool full color covers of the Pathfinder Remastered project. Um, I'm gonna toss it over to Logan to kind of talk a bit about the remaster, what it is, what it's about, why we're doing it. Logan, take it away. All right, so it's a set of four new core books, kind of a new kind of introduction on ramp into the game. Here you can see the first two, these are coming out in November. That is Player Core and GM Core. Uh, as you can see, we've split up the information for a player focus book and a GM focus book. We'll talk a little more in detail about that later. Uh, then there's two more books coming in 2024, Monster Core with a bunch of great monsters uh, from second edition and Player Core 2, which is going to contain eight more classes and a whole bunch of other player options. Uh, these are presenting the rules in a new format, uh, combine, combining some of the best parts of the early 2E books uh, into one spot and kind of making it easier to reference, easier to use, easier to find everything in one place. Uh, yeah, I do as far as is, why we're it... doing it... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, as far as why we're doing it, there's kind of a, a, a legal kerfuffle last year that kind of got us looking into this process um, and has also led to the Orc license, which is going to be you know a perpetual uh, open license and these books are going to come out under that license. Um, but we didn't want to just kind of stop at, you know, oh, we renamed the things we needed to rename. We took this as an opportunity to also kind of represent things, to clean up some language and to kind of make the books um, kind of align with some of the things people have been asking for since the game came out and give them a refreshed version of these books and the, and the base rules. I know it feels like it's been a very long time, Logan, but I should actually note the legal kerfuffle was earlier this year. <laughs> oh. And this is 2025? <laughs> the last few months have felt like an eternity. I do think it's important to stress that like, one of the big goals of this was to present a player book that was just a bit easier for players to get into, that didn't have all the GM information in there uh, kind of adding to the page count that allowed it to be kind of an easier point of entrance for players. Over the past couple of years, we've heard time and again that folks wish that they had kind of an easier way to get players into the game uh, and get them just the rules they need to get going. Um, Logan, can you talk a bit ab about uh, 
kind of how we how we sussed that out and how we got to where we are now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just, you know, everything that we've been listening to um, from the fan base. Uh, and a lot of it is about kind of removing barriers, kind of streamlining things, uh, taking out parts that, you know, uh, people found, you know, a little annoying or fiddly and um, and making them cleaner and make the game work faster. Um, it is like the reason we call it a remaster is because it is the same game. You can use almost everything we've already published within it uh, with either no or very minor tweaks. Um, so it's, you know, uh, going to be a really good foundation, but you can still kind of bring in all the other stuff that you've picked up over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, one thing that we continue to stress to folks that we, we stressed in the initial announcement, but today we're really going to take the time to kind of show you is that in most cases, we either trimmed out things that weren't kind of doing the work or we tried to make things better. There were aspects of the game that that kind of didn't work the way we had intended, um, or perhaps we're just a bit crufty and we're like, you know what, we can get to the exact same thing by just fixing this up. I, there's going to be multiple places today where we kind of dig into the remaster and kind of show you how that's going to work. So I'm excited to do it. Um, we've got a whole bunch of different book types coming out. Um, you know, we, we, of course, are going to be releasing the full color covers. We've got special editions. We haven't released what those look like yet, but we have released the special retailer covers. Um, so we'd love to show you those if you haven't seen them. There's going to be retailer exclusive edition. Uh, these versions are only going to be able, available at your favorite local hobby store, uh, at least at first. And uh, these are super excited. These are based off the sketches of those finals done by Wayne Reynolds. Um, and they're pretty gorgeous. I'm, I'm really happy with how these have turned out. Um, yeah, I, I think everybody's excited about these. Uh, everyone on the team is kind of kind of making grabby hands uh, at them, hoping to get them. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, I'm pretty excited about it. How about the rest of you? They're so clean. Yeah, some... right? <laughs> yeah, we, we get to see Wayne's sketches, but a lot of the time, you know, the fans don't. And when Wayne's sketches come in, you can already see, like, all the detail is there, all these, like, little character moments. And uh, you're like, maybe we should share them with you. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing is Kyra's uh, color magic thing going on there. That's really cool. Yeah. I just yeah. love how much it reminds me of the special edition comic books and things that you used to see whenever there was like a big run. Like, you know, uh, all of those cool alternate releases and things. It really gives us like a really fun special event feel that has a certain like amount of nostalgia while also being very new. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I also I, think I, these I work great with the. <laughs> yeah, Jason. The, the, yeah, no, the, the slight delay is, is getting us every time. Uh, no, I do think, you know, this is, I think I can confidently say this is kind of the first time we've ever done sketch covers. I don't think we've done sketch covers before on anything. So, uh, you know, this is kind of a new thing for us, and I'm super excited about it, and I, I hope folks are as well. Logan, you were saying. Oh, I was saying uh, these books have kind of a new, like, more of a green and tan color scheme, and I think that also looks really great with the... Uh, the sketch covers, and I think you're going to see a little bit more of the interior later on in this panel. So uh, look forward to that. So actually, Logan, I, I think looking at the the art piece we grabbed for this, it's just the art. It's not actually the spread. Oh, okay. um, we were a little uh, we were a little early in getting some of the the layout for this, just so folks have an idea of where we're at on this project. Uh, th these books are kind of going through our department uh, right now, and frankly, a month ago we were not. Uh, nearly where we're at now, which is, you know, uh, kind of really fully formed in our ideas about these books. We know what they are. We know what the content is. But 
they're not done yet, right? They go to the printer here uh, in a bit, and as a result, they're not quite finished yet. So we can't actually show you uh, some interior shots from the books, but I guarantee you, over the next few months, you're going to get to see plenty of the interior of this book. We just don't have any quite ready for this panel. We were just a hair shy. Uh, so uh, that's where we're at, uh, just to manage some expectations. So I do want to move us into actually talking about the books themselves. Um, and in addition to kind of going through some of the content, we also have some great questions that were sent along to us from uh, the How It's Played folks. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the chat here as well. At the end, I may try and grab some Q&A if we have time. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But if you ask it now, I guarantee you I'm not going to see it uh, until then. Yeah. So feel free to chat amongst yourselves, but I can't keep track of that chat. It's going way too fast. Uh, so let's move on and start talking about the player core. Um, who who wants to start that uh, process off? Who wants to kick that off? Player core one. I'll let Logan, I'll let Logan take alignment first, because I know people are going to want to hear about that. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, so well, yeah, one of the announced changes we've we've made that kind of affects all the books is the removal of alignment. Um, alignment has been a hot button issue for literally decades, um, both in Pathfinder and in other games. Um, and you know, it's something that came from the OGL uh, that we were using for the earlier uh, for Pathfinder First Edition and the start of Pathfinder Second. Uh, and it was really just kind of time to let that go and to come up with cooler and newer ways to get at character building and to get rid of some of the kind of more restrictive and weird and frankly confusing parts of alignment, uh, you know, where nobody can really agree on what any of the alignments means exactly and, you know, causes fights at tables and all that kind of stuff. And um, one of the things we realized when we started looking at that um, was that we already had tools in the game that kind of did its job better in Edicts and Anathema. So Edicts and Anathema are taking kind of more the center stage in saying what your character believes, what they will what they are inclined to do and what they refuse to do. And we're kind of making those a broader portion of the game, which are, for most characters, entirely optional. If you want to just play a fighter and not have any Edicts or Anathema, you can just do that. Um, and it's only certain classes similar to the, the core rulebook or APG versions of them that have to adhere to stricter Edicts and Anathema. Um, and I believe we've also previewed on the blog some of the ancestries, which list some popular edicts and anathema for the cultures those folks typically come from that you can optionally put onto your character. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, holy and unholy become a, a kind of important signifier in the game. Uh, I know some folks have asked about kind of chaos and law, uh, and we're not really kind of doing the same thing with that, right? Right. Um, yeah, I, Mike, I think you crunched the numbers on how important the various uh, former alignments were to the game and how often they cropped up. Yeah, we found that uh, good and evil came up a lot uh, throughout the game uh, across many different books. But when it came to Law and Chaos, once you removed the little alignment tag from things, mostly they only came up in mechanics or other elements when they were being included alongside good and evil. Uh, we actually really weren't doing much with them uh, in, in the system, other than as kind of broader story points. And as you already kind of brought up, edicts and anathema are a more nuanced way to kind of tell those stories. And you can still have beings that are kind of inherently orderly who are opposed by beings who are, uh, you know, inherently more chaotic or entropic. Uh, but mechanically, the removal of law and chaos 
really didn't change a very broad swath of, uh, of actual mechanics or options in the game. Yeah, and we've gotten quite a few questions about people asking like, well, what happens to the planes if they're built on these fundamental forces? And and honestly, like as far as the rules are concerned, you know, nothing changes there. Um, it's really like, think of the alignments as like writing prompts that led to the planes rather than like, oh, this is a structural thing that is absolutely necessary for them to function. Like the Maelstrom is still a weird and chaotic place, even if it does not have a chaotic trait that defines that in rules terms. Um, so they don't really need to change any in their in their fundamental style and nature. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is is for folks to to kind of grok that like in in all cases this this didn't change the story of our game. It it just removed a, a mechanical piece that frankly we wasn't doing a lot of work. And you're going to see this story over and over again that um, you know there are parts of this game that kind of weren't lifting their weight for the amount that players had to kind of learn and understand and kind of work with it. And, uh, you know, that's something that we're kind of keeping an eye on. And in some cases, you know, we're keeping it because it's part of the game. And in other cases, we're making some adjustments and trying to forge a game that is better and cleaner and, and easier for folks to kind of grok and pick up. So, uh, you know yeah, what? And, uh, I think we've... Yeah, go ahead. Do we want to give them a few details on uh, Holy and Unholy? Because uh, <clears throat> Mike brought that up. And that is one thing where you, you can still kind of align yourself with you know, the grand forces of, in the fight of, of good versus evil. Um, the way that works yeah. is typically somebody like a cleric, uh, someone of the cleric class is going to get the option to sanctify themselves uh, if their deity allows it. And there's a lot of nuance in that. Some deities say, you must be good to follow me. You have to sanctify yourself to good if you're a cleric. That's just, that is, there's not an option. That's what I demand. And others let you have the option. And some, you know, say, don't have any options for that. Um, so we have a lot of flexibility in characterizing our deities and their followers that way. Um, and if you do that, you get the holy trait if you sanctify yourself to holy or the unholy trait if you sanctify yourself to unholy. And that will give you, you know, uh, like it will let you cast spells that become holy when you cast them and hurt fiends uh, more strongly, similar to the alignment damage uh, from the core rulebook. Um, but it kind of has a lot more flexibility and there are a lot of fun ways we're finding to kind of apply it or let you use it discretionarily. So there's some really cool stuff that's coming out. of it. Is this the part where James gets to tell them about spirit damage or are we doing that later? <laughs> I don't know. James, do you want to tell them about spirit damage now or save it? I love spirit damage. Yeah. Um, so one of the main ways that we did this is that we actually have, um, we actually have a new damage type entering the game. You know, we don't have holy or unholy damage per se, but we have a new spirit damage type. This is for effects, unsurprisingly, like Spirit Blast, um, that kind of directly target the spirit. So this is a new kind of damage type. It allows for some cool new combinations. It kind of simplifies some things, you know, like, oh, well, he's, he's a ghost and he's projecting himself over here. Well, I'm like, well, his spirit is here, so I can, you know, hit him with this spirit attack. But at the same time, a lot of spirit, uh, spirit damaging abilities can be sanctified. So if you are, you know, a normal cleric attacking with a spiritual, you know, a spiritual attack, that'll do normal damage. But if you are holy, you can also add the holy trait to this, which will cause it to deal more damage to unholy creatures. Yeah, this was a really funny one because uh, we were looking at doing this damage type and we looked at spirit blast and it's like, wait, <laughs> this already kind of has the text in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, again, it's one of those things where, like, we, we kind of already did the work, right? Like, I, I, I think, you know, there was a number of spots in here where we're kind of looking for, like, solutions to various small problems or things that we knew we wanted to revise in some way. And, like, the, the answer was just staring us right in the face. And uh, uh, it's been kind of a fun and exciting process kind of going through that and figuring out uh, how to make this game uh, into the remaster that it needs to be. I think that covers alignment. I think I think at this point in time we should probably move forward and talk about ancestries. Now uh, we have all the ancestries from the core rulebook in here, but we're adding two more. Uh, we're adding the leshy and the orc. Who wants to who wants to kick off the conversation about that? I did a fair mint, uh, fair amount of damage to this section, so I'll go ahead and <laughs> take the lead here. <laughs> um, yeah, so as Jason said, uh, Leshy and Orc have both been, you know, promoted. Uh, they're going to be in Player Core One. Um, Orcs, uh, we already uh, in our organized play program had announced that Orcs no longer uh, were considered uncommon the way they had been before. Everybody had access to Orcs. So they're just a common ancestry, bam, right there in Player Core 1 now. Uh, we've collected the feats for Orcs that were in the core rulebook and in the advanced player's guide. We've given some of them a little bit of a brush up um, and... Uh, one of the things that uh, this allowed us to do was orcs were kind of scattered around before because originally we had half orcs in the core rulebook, but not orcs. And so half of the orc feats were over under humans in the core rulebook, and then the rest of them were under orcs in the APG. Now they're all collected together in one place. So if you're playing an orc, you only need to flip to the section that has orc as the header and off you go. Uh, speaking of half-orcs, uh, Versatile Heritages made it into this section along with uh, the other ancestries, and we have introduced a new uh, Versatile Heritage head uh, her header, goodness, should not have put those two words right in front of each other, uh, called Mixed Ancestries. And Mixed Ancestries are a tool where you can play a half-elf, who we have now included their in-world name, Ayuvarin, uh, or half-orcs, the Dromar, uh, but more than that, the rules are here to tell you these are not the only kind of uh, I want to be a mixed ancestry character that I can play. You want to do a character who is half orc and half dwarf? Well, the rules are now positioned to make that a lot easier for you to do. And uh, that might touch on some stories that we decide to tell later. Uh, it's hard to say at this point in time. But they have had this promotion and separation. Uh, they are no longer folded underneath humans. They are their own thing that is now infinitely broader and more flexible, and we've given some uh, instructions to the GM and the player on how to explore that space with other ancestries and other mixtures, and I think people are going to be really excited about uh, what we've done there. Uh, James, did you have any uh, kind of thoughts uh, on that as well? I know you and I uh, both had a, a lot of input on the mixed ancestries <laughs> in particular. Yeah, it's a, it's a convenient thing. You know, you... Uh, called me up and I was like, oh, okay, cool. We can talk about the mixed ancestries now. Um, yeah, uh, I really like the new framework. You know, Mike and I are both mixed race. That's the thing we've talked about. Um, and like, I think that the way it's presented is, is it's kind of nice to pull them out of human, you know, uh, versatile heritages were something we had in the APG. They weren't really in the core rule book and they are very much one of the things that people seem to, you know, really enjoy playing as. Um, so it's really nice to bring that back in and kind of realign things like the Ayuvarin or the Dramar into this sort of new versatile heritage sort of system. And I do like the guidance that we give, you know, because the kind of core of the 
of the system is the inner sea region. That's ones where half elves, half elves and half orcs, excuse me, are a little more common. You know, we have, those are the ones that are common in the setting, but there's nothing saying that there couldn't be other places in Galarian where, you know, just like we have, for instance, uh, in the Mongi Expanse, gnolls are more common, Colo, I should say. Um, you know, this could be different in other places. So it's another example where you can kind of use the rarity to sort of express your game system or your world in a, whatever kind of way you want to. Speaking yeah, that, of different, oh, go ahead, Jason. No, I, th I think that just speaks to, again, part of the philosophy of this, right? Which is giving you tools to tell the stories you want to tell and removing kind of some barriers that frankly were there for, uh, the only reason they were there is because, well, that's the way it was, right? Half elves were half human. It never have to be that way. It's just the way it was. So like the remaster does give us a chance to kind of reevaluate some of those decisions. And, uh, uh, I think that's a you know that's one of the things I'm most excited about folks getting their hands on in this. Mike, I, I, I cut you off. We we nearly talked over each other there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it back to you. Yeah. I was gonna say, speaking of things we've done to expand the number of stories uh, that you can tell and the options that you have in the game, uh, Ozamar and Tiefling, as part of the legal kerfuffle mentioned earlier, needed to go. Uh, but they were a very kind of important part of the story. These beings who have, you know, a mortal ancestry and also ties to an immortal extraplanar uh, entity. And so we have brought in the Nephilim. Uh, and the Nephilim have a lot of the content that originally appeared uh, for Ozamar and Tieflings. Uh, in some cases, remixed and reworked. So you can play a character who maybe has both angelic and demonic blood in them and has expressions of both those things. Uh, maybe you are uh, an entity from Cheliax, a servant of Asmodeus who has demonic hooves, but also an angelic halo. You know, everybody trust me. It's, it's really good. Don't, don't worry about the hooves. They don't mean anything. Um, <laughs> uh, and for me personally, this was really exciting as well because there were a lot of celestial beings that themselves have certain animalistic features. Uh, Archons and Azadas, some of them have snake tails, some of them have hound fangs. And by bridging these two things together and creating a single bucket that all of these ideas live under, we opened up all of those characters for people to play. So if you want to play an angelic holy being who also happens to have hound fangs, that's on the table. Uh, you know, you want to play something that is inspired by, uh, you know, one of the more angelic, like the Azadas, similar to the Liland. Uh, and so you want to have a tail, uh, but also still be angelic. That's in there now. It was really interesting to see there was so much overlap between uh, the Tiefling and the Ozimar. And when we started taking the feats that were the exact same thing, but with one different line of flavor, and then recouching that flavor to account for everything that would fall under that, and then using the additional space to add more content there, we ended up with something just really, really amazing in these Nephilim that is going to give you so, so many new options for characters. And, and a lot of it was really just shifting the way things were organized and removing limitations that were very kind of arbitrary to begin with. I should yeah. say that the last personal heritage we have uh, are changelings. Uh, these are the, you know, the children of hags, and I really like having them in player core for reasons that we will talk about when we talk about the monster book. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to jump off of that, James, and say, because I think we're about to start talking about our next subject, which is the, the chapter after uh, Ancestries. Um, 
But the reason the changeling is in here and the reason the Leshy are in here is because when we looked at, you know, how we're going to split up the, the content between these books, it really came down to like some thematic underpinnings. And one of the ones of this book is nature. So this book has the Leshy in it partially to go with the Druid and some of the other uh, kind of primal nature magic kind of uh, stuff. So I think you'll see pretty soon how that plays out throughout the rest of the book. But yeah, I'll give it back to I, Jason I, so he can... Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, one last note on this, you know, we got, we've received some questions about, you know, why, why did we pick the ancestors we picked? And, and obviously that speaks to, you know, the Leshy speaks to that kind of nature tie to this book. Um, you know, folks are wondering why the orc is in here. I mean, you know, we kind of asked ourselves, well, it's going to be under the orc license. So it'd be kind of ridiculous if the orc wasn't in here. Uh, but you know, I, I think that also ties back into the fact that we wanted half orcs in here and we wanted them fully supported, not just kind of an also ran that was not you know, in the same way that the elves were in here. Um, so with that, um, I think, you know, it's probably time for us to start talking about the real meat of this book, the thing that folks are going to be most excited about, and that is the classes. Um, and Logan touched on this uh, uh, briefly, but the, the classes in this book were, were picked very specifically to kind of provide a well-rounded base uh, for your game. So we knew we we had four spell casting traditions. So we wanted the four primary spell casters of each one of these traditions. So we had Bard for Occult, we have Cleric for Divine, we have Druid for Primal, and we have Wizard uh, for Arcane. And that kind of started locking in some of our other decisions as well. We knew we needed the Fighter and the Rogue. Those were kind of core pieces of the game, but we had one spot left over, and the Witch kind of fits. Um, you know, uh, on top of those, uh, I just looked at the list and I was like, wait, isn't Ranger supposed to be on that list? Yes, it is. Uh, because, uh, you know, we had the pet classes in here as well, because the Druid, uh, was, was part of our initial mix. So like a lot of those decisions were kind of made by uh, the choice of how to put this book together, but let's dive into some of these classes and talk about what folks can expect to see from them, what some of the changes are. There's a lot of kind of juicy details in here. And I, I want to encourage my my fellow panelists to spoil away. Logan. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, sh shall we go through them in order? I'll take the bard, uh, and then I'll, I'll put Mike on deck for the cleric. Uh, so the bard is one that was largely functioning uh, pretty close to how we wanted it. So a lot of the changes there are to kind of make the story more clear on them and kind of give them... Uh, a little more kind of role-playing hooks because if you're playing a bard, you really want like, you're there for the role-playing, you're there to have fun. Um, so we wanted to kind of put a little more detail into the muses and kind of like what they mean to your character. Um, so their mechanics didn't change a whole lot. Um, they got a few, you know, different spell selections on the occult list and things like that. But the main thing here is kind of boosting up their flavor uh, and making that, that sing a little bit more. So I think folks are going to find it easier to get in the headspace of the bards they're going to play. Um, I'll keep that one short uh, and let Mike answer about the uh, the cleric. Yeah, so uh, the cleric, kind of one of the first things we had to do was we had to go through and we had to do a, a really significant brush up because clerics spoke to alignment uh, a lot and alignment was something that we were taking out of the game. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on that too long because that's kind of the least interesting thing about this, but just to answer the question, any anything in the cleric that was very alignment coded before has been adjusted oftentimes to speak to the new sanctification process uh, that Logan mentioned. But we had the patient open anyways, and there were opportunities to do other fun things while we were in there. 
since pretty much the start of this edition cycle, the war priest has been something of a divisive uh, topic for people. There are people who really love it. There are people who remember the PF1 war priest and wish the PF2 war priest were more like that. Uh, and so we really took a look at what are people doing with the war priest and what can we do to make it easier, more appealing and more attractive to the players, right? Uh, one of the things we realized is that there was a perception issue in that the cloistered cleric could spend resources to get everything that the war priest had, but the war priest couldn't go the other way. They, they could never spend a resource to get legendary proficiency in spellcasting, for example. So we wanted to give the war priest a few things that were unique to it and that it could have that the cloistered cleric couldn't have it. Uh, probably the one of those things that people are going to be the most excited about uh, is the fact that its final doctrine uh, now gives it master proficiency with its deity's favored weapon, uh, in addition to everything the final doctrine gave it before. Uh, we've also made sure that the third doctrine that it gets uh, increases its proficiency with martial weapons, so you don't get training in martial weapons and then feel like you never get to like really use them past a certain point. Uh, we also went through this, and Landon uh, from the Rules and Lore team, who is not here today, did a lot of work in kind of helping pre-identify areas where we could spruce things up and, and doing some of this initial uh, work. Uh, and we added a bunch of new feats. We took some feats uh, that were there, and we uh, added a little bit more spice to them. One thing that we knew, to go back to the War Priest, was that it was very common for people to talk about, well... Uh, why play a war priest when I could take a uh, cloistered cleric and take the sentinel archetype and get armor proficiency that way? Or why doesn't the war priest just have in-class stuff to make it better at the things it's supposed to do? Why does it need to go to an archetype to buy that stuff? And so we were like, well, yeah, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't need to spend a dedication feat on opening up uh, some cool new options. So there's now right out the gate, you know, a war priest's armor feat that allows you to go all the way upgrade into heavy armor and then allow that to scale through the entire life of the character. Uh, and we looked at other opportunities all throughout the class to give fun new ways for not just the war priest, but also the cloistered cleric to lean even harder into their role and do the kind of fun, exciting things that people want them to do and really draw even more flavor out of that class. Yeah, another spot we looked at were like making sure that some feats uh, like were satisfying to use if you were getting up into melee combat. There's a lot of focus on that, right? Because we knew that not every war priest, but a large number of them are going to want to be using melee weapons, getting up close with the fighter or the ranger. Uh, and so, you know, there's some fun new tools in there that I think are going to make folks who like war priests really excited. I've seen a lot of questions in chat about how some of these changes might portend other changes we are making. Uh, not going to comment on all of those, but you know, I'll just let that hang out there. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about the druid. Who who can who can give us some 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 tasty info on the druid? I think I'll take druid. Um, yeah, so the druid is another class that we looked at, and you know, most people seem to be enjoying it. It gets you know, it gets a lot of cool primal spells. There's a lot of ways that you can take it. So we didn't have as many core places we wanted to, you know, necessarily do large revisions on. Um, very similar to the Bard, we kind of went in and we wanted to make things really have more of that, uh, that nature flavor. So um, one thing is the juridic language still exists. Now it is called the Wild Song, and it has a lot of 
you know, it's it kind of sounds like animals. It's written in a very kind of uh, natural way. That's just kind of a nice little flavor thing there. But um, the main thing we wanted to look at was there were certain orders that got kind of a lot of options. And there were other orders that, uh, for one reason or another, had felt like they had been left a little bit by the wayside. Um, and so one of the big things we wanted to do is we said, hey, why don't we make sure that all of the orders have cool things that they can do? And so, you know, that speaks to things like a, um, you know, some custom uh, spell shaping abilities that they can get. Uh, if you're a storm order that allow you to say, create, create thunderclaps when you use electrical attacks or leave kind of snow on the ground. Um, things like the, uh, leaf orders leshy familiar um, start to come into some of your abilities. I know they have an, they have something called grown of oak where they just kind of have like a, a low level uh, resistance to damage at all times because their skin has grown as hard as you know, as hard as a tree. That kind of thing. So really, here it wasn't so much about um, making really big changes to the class. It really was just about kind of tuning the flavor up and giving you more options. Um, kind of no matter what kind of druid you want to be. Yeah, this is another class that got a lot of things kind of changed around it that improved it without having to mess with its like class features and stuff that much. So like there was a really high premium put on being able to speak with plants, like it's a really high level spell. You had to take a bunch of feats to get it. That was kind of all legacy stuff. Uh, that stuff is much easier to do now, and that opened up new space for uh, for new feats like the one that James just mentioned. Exciting, exciting stuff. That was the Druid. How about the Fighter? I, I feel like the Fighter didn't get too many changes in the grand scheme of things. Um, so among other things, one of the things we noticed about the Fighter, uh, and I should actually, you know what, I'm not, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm actually going to throw the mic to Logan. Logan deserves to be the one to get to tell people this. <laughs> oh, God. Is it, is it that we removed an entire trait? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so we, we found that one of the traits, the open trait, was not really super intuitive to people. Um, people wanted to do things like make an attack and then sudden charge afterward. Um, and we found most of the places where it was being used, it wasn't really necessary. Um, so we have stricken that, that trait from uh, the player core. Um, and like in the, like, I think one feat where it's really necessary in the Ranger, we're going to put in a requirement that has a similar effect. Um, but it kind of wasn't pulling its weight, so we just cut it out to simplify things down. It it definitely falls in the category of one of those traits that, like, very frequently I would see people not realize was even there. They would be like, "Oh, wait, I can I have to do that first? Yeah. Oh, I I'm guessing that. people Sorry. are saying that in right. chat right now. They're probably like, "What trait? Yeah, <laughs> <I don't remember laughs> yeah. Again, goes back to the overarching theme of rules that aren't doing work uh, should right. be reevaluated. Joy. Yeah, rules that, that you regret remembering. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, we didn't make a ton of changes to the fighter. The fighter was largely doing its job well. We looked for opportunities to expand things. Um, the fighter also just really benefited from other changes we made, like changes to the athletic skill and new actions we added, like the reposition action. Um, and so there's going to be some kind of systemic improvements that hit the fighter, but it was already kind of one of the most straightforward and most well-liked classes. And, you know, we're all kind of smart enough to know that you don't mess with perfection, right? So uh, we definitely did what we could to polish it along with everything else. But if you really like your fighter right now and, and you have any amount of trepidation, like, don't worry, we've, we have not taken anything away from you. <laughs> yeah. 
Mike, I greatly appreciate your sly way of sneaking in an early spoiler there. Uh, it's uh, to my own heart, your, your desire to get the news out there now. All right. <laughs> uh, next up, that, that's the fighter. The fighter is one of those classes that I feel like if, uh, if you were, if you sat down with a, a fighter from uh, the core rulebook at a table playing the remaster, that most people wouldn't even notice. Um, it, it's the, uh, there's a fair number of these where the changes were pretty small um, in the grand scheme of things, and if you played it the old way, it wouldn't really make much of a difference at all. I don't know, Logan. Do you feel that that's the case? I kind of get that impression when looking at. Yeah, the I, I think if you played a core rulebook fighter like they're they're going to function pretty much the thing the same the only thing you would notice is like oh if you didn't have apg there's some feats here you didn't you didn't know about before um but yeah it's it was mostly kind of a curation and cleanup kind of effort yeah uh so let's talk about the ranger here let's keep things moving and get on over to the ranger yeah i guess, I guess that's uh me again don't worry james is going to get to tell you a whole lot when we get to witch and wizard <laughs> he's, he's gonna get all the w's <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Ranger, we did a few things. We took all of the Warden spells that were in the APG and we made them a core part of the Ranger. And that was a really exciting opportunity for us because it allowed us to make spell progression part of the Warden's natural uh, progression. So everywhere where the Ranger's class uh, DC increased before, now if you have a Warden spell, it will also automatically increase the spell DCs as well. Uh, we did a little polishing up of the feats uh, to make them a little more accessible and uh, a little more flexible for folks. Uh, and we did another thing, which is the Ranger had a crossbow ace feat because it had a crossbow precision build. And it was really cool, but it was really patching a hole that existed because we didn't have a proper martial crossbow in the system. And once we had put the crossbow ace feat in its previous form into the game, there wasn't room to put the martial crossbow that we wanted in there anymore. So we have reworked the crossbow ace feat to be a more exciting and dynamic option for players. And we've added the Arbalest, a big, massive, only one reload action, uh, two-handed crossbow that is available right there in Player Core 1 for players who want a cool crossbow build for a class that it has martial weapon proficiency and doesn't want to be taxed to improve a simple weapon. Uh, so those are kind of the big things with, with Ranger, right? Is making the spells a core part of it, making sure that they scaled and progressed properly with the rest of the class, and then doing some other systemic changes that removed kind of taxi options and increased just the amount of like punch and pizzazz that was available to the class. Yeah, I also took this as a chance to mess with one of my pet peeves in there, which is uh, it had some feats that other classes also got, but it needed to have Hunt Prey for it, um, and the other class didn't. Uh, so I like scrubbed those out and uh, and made those a little <laughs> more flexible. Uh, so next up, I, I I love Rangers. I'm excited about them. That I'm the, the crossbow stuff has has irked me since Pathfinder First Edition. So I'm glad to see it, it get some get some love and attention. Uh, uh, next up is Rogue. Rogue is actually a class that I I I did some work on, so I can probably talk about this one briefly. The Rogue is a class that frankly didn't get a lot of changes. Um, some of the biggest things is that we took some of the greatest stuff from the APG and brought it into the core with the Rogue. But there is one big noticeable change on the Rogue that I think folks will, will pick up on right away, and that it is is that it is now trained in all martial weapons. We we got rid of the bespoke list 
and gave them all martial weapons. And to kind of make that work, we actually worked with the rackets to make sure that the rackets kind of incentivized you to use weapons of one group or another to kind of make that flavorful and exciting instead of just limiting all of your options about martial weapons and only getting a small bespoke list that then became a pain to kind of upgrade and stuff. And this tied into some archetypes and stuff too. I don't know if anybody else on the team wants to talk about that. I think you're more versed in how that all came together than me. But there was a big reason for for doing this that wasn't just, boy, rogues really wish they had this. <laughs> Mike, do you have some insight on that? You're usually our weapon proficiency guy, so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it was it was a thing that like the moment Treasure Vault dropped, I was like, man, people are going to be so happy. There's so many cool weapons in here. And there was like a week, two week period where people were like, yay, look at all the new weapons. And then uh, inevitably followed the but it's really complicated for my rogue to get to use some of these cool new weapons, even the ones that are really roguey. And I was like, you know what? Fair cop. Like, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, for sure. And so the rogue is now going to be able to actually get to use all of those cool new weapons that we dropped in treasure vault that people were like this is obviously for the rogue but i have to do you know crazy archetype shenanigans and and things to get there well now 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 you don't you know? <laughs> i should also mention yeah, that the bard also got all martial weapons um and that meant we needed to do something new for the warrior muse and we did something new for the warrior muse i will not spoil that one at this time <laughs> Ooh, restraint. Uh, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, understanding that sneak attack now works with all agile and finesse melee weapons, not just ones from a bespoke list, um, really kind of opens that up. It wouldn't work if it was just like, well, you can only sneak attack with simple weapons, though. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't quite play or simple finesse weapons. Right. So, um, that the list is kind of open now in a way that I think, I think rogue players are, have been handed a bunch of new opportunities for how they want to build their rogue, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, and again, even if you play, if, yeah, even even then, if you if you're playing your rogue from before the remaster, n nothing about you changes fundamentally. You still work. Um, you, we're you get about the some new options, but you don't lose any of your previous ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to note that even the ruffian, who previously had kind of the broadest band uh, there, has gotten some additions onto that uh, to take advantage of this this new update. I know that one specifically is one that a few different people have have poked about and wondered about. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was just looking at the text right now to remember exactly how we landed on that. Uh, yeah, reading it on uh, panel. Good stuff. Good stuff. I, I may I may yeah. dig up the specific spoiler here, but uh, the one I was thinking of was actually from the scoundrel about being able to step after a feint, but that's different. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. And that's all the classes. So after classes. Wait, no. <laughs> no, hold on. Just, just, just waiting one minute there. Biding There's, my time. <laughs> there are two more classes to talk about, and I think we're largely turning this over to James to talk about the witch yeah. and the wizard, but let's start with the... Let's start with the witch. Yeah, limber up. Limber up, everybody. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah, so um, the witch is the is the APG class that we're putting in this book for a lot of reasons. You know, it's a really iconic concept. It's very easy to, you know, there are so many examples of witches in fiction. It goes back, you know, so many years. Um, and I think it's not really a secret to say that this is a class where sometimes kind of accessing that flavor and accessing that kind of fantasy in the game has been 
difficult to do are kind of convoluted. And so this is probably one of the classes that we've given one of the larger reworks to as we're going through. Um, and we really focused kind of in two main areas. And one was to really take the flavor of the witch and just dial it all the way up here. Uh, and so that's something you'll see a lot in, um, we've given a lot of space to the new patrons. They're a lot more specific now instead of a general theme. It's, they're still mysterious. You don't know exactly who they are. Um, but something like the word just, you know, curse as a patron is now the resentment, uh, which is a patron that, um, you know, you still don't know quite what it is. Uh, it could be probably, uh, Whatever its type of being is, it's probably like a weaker version of that. And so it has to use you to kind of get around that. Um, and it really just wants to lay everybody low. So um, you have one of those. Uh, the winter theme became the silence and snow. This is kind of a mysterious ice entity. And along with that, we really wanted to have your patron feel a lot more present in kind of your general kit, in your rotation. And that kind of brings us into the other main change, which is we really wanted to just um, take a lot of take a number of the restraints off of the witch, give them a lot of cool stuff that really only they get. You know, they are supposed to be the premier uh, familiar using class, but because there's a lot of archetypes and other ways to get familiars, um, they weren't really getting anything that was unique to them. So now every familiar uh, has some cool and rather unusual ability they get from their patron. So the Silence in Snow, for instance, um, has the uh, familiar of freezing rhyme. No matter what your familiar is, it probably breathes out, uh, its breath is cold, it probably freezes the ground, and whenever you cast or sustain a hex, it starts to freeze the ground around it, which causes, you know, terrain, that kind of thing. And that doesn't take up any of your, you know, familiar ability slots, it just kind of always has that. Um, so that's one way uh, that it's there. Um, they have the choice to have an ability where I have a new focus spell called Patron's Puppet, where if you don't have the time to send your familiar to do something, uh, you just ask your patron to do it, and your patron will just move its agent around um, as a free action. And they have a number of new feats that kind of uh, cause effects to come from their familiars. Um, one has your patron kind of focus its attention on an area, and its magic becomes so powerful that it becomes harder for other characters to kind of cast around it. That one I think is called Patron's Presence. It's a rather high-level one. Um, and so they get a lot of these unique abilities. Um, that really make you feel like, you know, you're asking your patron for help on the battlefield and your patron is like, okay, fine, I guess I'll help you. But that's also why you, you know, you still, we're still limiting you to one hex per turn, but we're also taking a lot of the um, kind of restraints off of them there. Because, you know, if you're asking your patron for help, you know, every two seconds for 10 minutes, your patron is like, well, why am I even bothering giving you all of this secret magic if I have to come down and do everything myself? Um, so that, and a ton of new cleanup to some old feats, uh, the Eldritch Nails feats and the hair feats have all been bundled together into something just called Witch's Armaments. Um, you have, that are a little bit easier to use if you want to play that, uh, that witch who's a little more physical. Um, and we've just added a lot of kind of new witchy feats that are specific to them, like the ability to, to turn a broom or a polearm into a flying broom and you can fly around on it, that sort of thing. Very exciting stuff. Didn't you also do a feat where, like, your patron just gets so angry at whoever you're fighting that they use you as a portal and just reach right through your body and grab your enemy and bash them around or something like that? They they reach their arm out of your out of your familiar and grab the opponent's soul and and I think like doom them or something and restore I think a focus point because you know they've just been like I'm just gonna you know 
you have your, your shadow cat familiar or something and it just kind of opens up and your patron's arm comes out and goes into it. Yes, I think that's the highest patron fee. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think it's time for us to uh, chat about the wizard and some exciting changes that are happening here. I'm gonna Jason, let do you want to be the one to spoil the big change? <laughs> I'm going to make Jason start it. Um, so this is one I'll of the it. big changes that we haven't announced yet. Kind of one of the ones that's closest to the scale of the alignment change, but we kind of wanted to hold off till uh, we had people and we could kind of talk about it in a little more detail. Um, and that is another thing that was kind of legacy from the OGL um, that we realized we needed to remove, and that is spell schools. Uh, so the concept of all spells having a school is going away. This is another thing that was um, not really that important for the rules in most instances. Um, the only one that was really crucial to keep around is illusions because illusions have special rules attached to them. Uh, and so illusions are still illusions and still have you know ways to, uh, to disbelieve them. Um, but the, that kind of base concept is, is going away. Um, that is another thing, like we found the number of times that was referenced is very, very small uh, in the rules as a whole. And there are a few things like some magic items that uh, that won't function as they used to anymore. Uh, and we've looked at you know ways to do replacements for some of those, which part of that we'll talk about a little bit later in the GM core section. Uh, but I wanted to set that up as a, a jumping off point for James for the wonderful opportunities this uh, created in the wizard. Yeah, I think it created a lot of wonderful opportunities in the wizard. Um, yeah, so we had the eight spell schools, and the eight spell schools as they currently stood were very thematic, but they didn't always give you a, a kind of clear through line. You know, uh, conjuration is like is about four different kinds of effects uh, and that sort of thing. And kind of most importantly, there were only ever eight of them, so we could never add any more you know arcane schools because that's the number. Uh, and if we don't have those, we're like, well, what are wizard schools anymore? And uh, Logan, I think it was, came up with the brilliant idea of what if the wizard schools are schools? Um, like, what if they are the curriculum that they learned out there in the world? And we have a number of places where you learn magic in the setting. And so the wizard, we took a lot of their existing school abilities and we kind of remixed them together and we were like, well, what are the kinds of, you know, in a fantasy world where people can learn to cast magic, what kind of magic would they learn? Uh, and so that can be anything from as straightforward as the school of battle magic. Turns out people have been throwing fireballs at each other for a long time. Um, this could be if you trained in an area that's like really at the brink of war, like Chilex and Andorin, or perhaps Gavin Nex. And so this has, you know, some of your big blasty spells on it. This is the one with fireball on it. But this is also the one with, uh, like Earthbind, because taking down flying enemies would be important if you're part of, a, you know, if you're like a military wizard. Uh, it has some stuff like, uh, what's a good one here? It has stuff like Mist. It has stuff like Resist Energy. And then it has a number of extremely explosive spells here, like Falling Stars. Um, but there's also stuff like the School of Civic Wizardry. This is maybe if you're from someplace like Manaket in Rahadum, where you know they spend a lot of magic trying to keep the desert from encroaching on them. This helps you build walls, summon constructs that can help uh, you know, uh, build buildings. Um, it helps you kind of do all these little, you know, the kind of thing that you would need if you weren't, if you were just in a city using your magic to kind of run infrastructure and that sort of thing. 
Um, so they get Wall of Stone, they get, uh, they get Creation, um, some Earth spells, that sort of thing. And this is everything, I think the last one I want to talk about, because I really like it, is the School of Protean Form. This is your kind of biological manipulation magic. This could be like the Flesh Forges of Nex. So you get something like Gouging Claw, which we've put in this book, uh, Tangle Vine, Plant Spells, uh, Spider Sting, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so this was a place where we could really lean into like, well, what are the kind of magic that people do in Galarian? And then also like this allows us to leave the door open for, you know, maybe if there's a new part of the setting we go to, like um, maybe I joked earlier this week, uh, you know, if we go back to Ustalov, maybe their school of wizard magic is kind of half, you know, it's half spirits and half electricity because they have that whole kind of Gothic Frankenstein thing going on. So, yeah. So uh, I, I, I want to, take a moment to talk about uh, how this kind of adds to our, our bucket of options, right? I mean, uh, James touched on it, but this means we can add more spell schools. We can include more of these in the future, right? We're not limited to the number of schools that exist in the game. We can now add more flavorful spell schools. Folks in the chat have been asking a lot about like Rune Lords and how that works. Well, Rune Lords were part of the inspiration for this, right? They were already an in-world thematic thing that spoke more to the story of the game than kind of a hidden sublayer of mechanical cruft that was only serving to be that hidden sublayer, right? Because we didn't really use it directly in the world. We kind of then had to cloak it behind something else. I'm not saying it was bad. It was just, it wasn't serving a full narrative need like this does. This allows wizards to be like, yeah, that's the school I came from. And guess what? They have a core curriculum of spells they teach their students, and I know them because that's what they teach at that school. I'm actually ridiculously excited about this change. I think this change really adds a lot to what we can do with wizards to make them more flavorful. I thought Arcane Thesis was a great addition to wizards in second edition because it did make them more scholarly, like they wrote a book. It was like, you can't graduate wizard school until you've written your book about what wizard thing you did. But this takes that even a step further to say, well, this is the college I went to, right? This is the school that I went to, and this is the stuff that I learned. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I want to toss it back to the rest of the, the, the team here to talk about this change, because I, I do think it is a big change, but it is it is one that I think is actually really exciting for the game. Yeah, I think one of the one of the good instances here is like, yes, if you have a rune lord, what does that mean for them? Well, they went to the school of sloth, right? Or they went to the school of wrath. Like you can introduce those options that kind of give all of the details and color that you want them to have. And then you can have, you know, more easily have like feats play off that. You can expand things in interesting ways. Um, there are some things uh, like the Magus spell strike that like we might have to errata to make sure this works properly. And um, there's a similar feat, the Bispell weapon feat in, in the, or the core rulebook wizard um, that is going to be reappearing in player core that has been, you know, kind of rewritten to both work with weapons and unarmed attacks and also to be more broad so it works with this kind of new concept of spells. Um, so those things, uh, we are looking at things where we might have to spot errata a few things. There aren't a whole lot in number, to be frank, um, but we do want to make sure that nothing becomes non-functional if you're playing based off the player core text. If you if you have a school of sloth, do you even have to go to class? I'm curious. I don't, I, do you learn anything there? I think if you don't go to class, you get an A+. Plus. <laughs> it's it's a correspondence course. You study at your own pace. It's fine. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> uh, uh, James, did you mention the, uh, speaking of uh, studying at your own time, did you mention the um, 
unified the school of unified magical theory theory. i did not know the school of unified magical theory uh is you know this is what's sort of taking over for our universe list in this way so um you don't have a curriculum but you can gain addition but you gain additional feats uh and spells kind of like you did beforehand it really functions much like the original Universalist, I think the only thing that's different uh, about it really is that um, the kind of class feats that gave you unique spells for the Universalist are now just the feats for the School of Unified Magical Theory. So you still want to use Hand of the Apprentice and throw your weapon really far, you can do that. And that will get easier because um, this is, the Wizard is another one of those classes where we've uh, gone in and looked at some of those like legacy uh, weapon provisions and we've just said yeah they can all they have all simple weapons now so if you want to be that frying pan wizard uh you know who has a frying pan in one hand and a staff in the other i say go for it i i I love that this allowed us to kind of build that into the wizard I, i that's one of my favorite parts about this it really is um you know and this is probably a pretty good segue for us to talk about spells we've already kind of talked about a number of the things uh that that we were going to talk about in spells we kind of preface some of them like spirit damage and stuff uh, but there's plenty more to talk about in spells here. Um, uh, Logan, this actually, let me think. James, you spent a lot of time in spells, um, so I don't, I don't know if you want to lead this one off. Um, I think I'm actually going to kick Maybe. this to Logan to kind of talk about right. the um, the overall selection, and then I think I'll come in for some of the specifics. Absolutely. Yeah. Th- yeah. This one also has a this one also has a rules band aid to rip off. Um, so. In this case, it is spell components, because this is one that is a holdover um, from the OGL and really in the rules for second edition is kind of a container for other traits, for the concentrate and manipulate traits. Um, And we realized we could pull those out, make spell casting and the story of how you cast spells more individual and flexible to your characters uh, and just put those traits in the spells. So there's less kind of like cross-referencing to figure those out for new players and to just kind of put all the information in one place. Um, So we did that, and I think one of the great things that let us do was kind of remove some of the, you know, the special substitution side cases that a lot of classes had to do, and put some cool flavor into those classes. And James did a lot of this on various classes. Put some cool flavor about what it looks like when they cast their spells, and how you might kind of customize those to your character. So I just want to lead off with that bit because that is kind of like the the last remaining kind of substantial base rules change that we're talking about in in this book. I I, th- I think it's important to note too that like it's it's a change only in the way that we're kind of referencing them because it was always this pass through. It'd be like oh that has somatic, which means it has manipulate. Well now it just has manipulate. We know it has manipulate. So what the difference here is we know you're doing something with your hands. We're just not specifically telling you it as its own bespoke line. So it's, it's, it is a change, but it's a change that really is more of a presentational one uh, because we still understand that you have to speak words and do hand wavy stuff when you cast spells. That's not really changing. Um, I, I, it's a little more nuanced than that, but, but on its surface, I realize it looks like a bigger change than I think it actually is. I don't know if there's actually that much more nuance than that. That's, that's yeah, no, I, all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, apart from that, in the spells, um, a lot of spells are unchanged, but there's a fair number that were kind of named after the OGL. And some of those, it's like, look, we love the mechanics of this. It's entirely new to, to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, for example, there's the Force Barrage spell, which lets you spend one to three actions to shoot force 
uh, at somebody and it automatically affects them with no save. That spell has the same mechanics. It has a new name um, because everything but the name was created by us for second edition. Um, there are a few others where we kind of said, okay, we don't really like how this spell works. It's kind of you know weirdly themed and we wanted to just do something new in its place. So you're gonna see some that get functional replacements. The nice thing, of course, is that if you really liked the spell that was in the core rulebook uh, and we replaced it, so for example, uh, we don't have tree shape. We have one with plants that has a couple different functions. Um, and you say, I liked tree shape and I wanna use tree shape instead. That spell still works fully within the rules. So a lot of this, the spells chapter is kind of curating things uh, and swapping things around uh, and introducing some new concepts. So I think you'll you'll find like some new uh, fun stuff to find throughout that chapter. Yeah, this also let us kind of bring together uh, spells that had very, very similar functions, but were kind of different spells for really, uh, you know, legacy reasons or one reason or another, uh, like uh, Glitter Dust and uh, what's the other one? Fairy Fire? Are now, fire. Uh, they're just Revealing Light, yeah, which are now Revealing Light. This is a wave of light that, you know, it reveals things. Uh, it, you know, it acts kind of like a flashbang the way it did, but you know, this is this is one spell and we don't, you know, another one that also light themed happened there uh, is the light spell, which now kind of brings in the elements of both light and dancing lights. And it's one of those things where this is, um, it's nice in that you're getting more functionality in your spell, but it's also uh, a little bit clearer because you're not saying, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm the party's spellcaster, I should probably have a little magical light spell. Um, you know, which one should I take, uh, rather two, um, sort of a thing. So now we just have one that's a lot more flexible. That's a thing you'll see in a couple of, uh, in a couple of spells as well. Um, and then we also had uh, some sort of remixes on the standard. You know, um, I mentioned the Falling Stars spell earlier. This is like a really high level destructive spell. It like pulls, you know, pulls stars down from the sky and throws them at the battlefield, but this can do uh, if you pull comets, they'll deal ice damage. Uh, if you pull meteors, you know, they'll kind of break apart in, mid in midair and do sonic damage. So you're getting this uh, very cool, very, you know, this is this is a real powerful spell. It should feel powerful feeling to it, but with a little bit of a remix on the theme. I think the other one I really like is a Tree of Seasons, which is a primal spell. It grows a tree with uh, four seeds that you can throw to explode, but each seed... Uh, is a different season so you know the seed of winter does cold damage uh you know the seed of fall i think does i think it decays something like that but each one does a different damage type and it just has that that kind of like nice little iteration on it i really like them james what about divine land the the underpowered uh divine attack spell the underpowered divine attack spell that does 2d4 spirit damage and therefore can affect anything that isn't like a rock Oh, and you can sanctify it if you want it to, you know, if you are sanctified and you want your, uh, you know, your blast of spiritual energy cantrip to deal even more damage to uh, angels, because let's say you are uh, an unholy sanctified cleric, um, it will do that. You can do that. Um, but with the addition of the spirit damage type, uh, you know, this, I think this quite naturally gives uh, divine uh, characters and to a lesser extent occult characters this kind of unique thing that they can do uh, that maybe the more uh, materially focused primal and arcane lists can't uh, but it's one that will be useful against really a much wider range of creatures well and i think that speaks to uh, a big 
like one of our big passes of this chapter was to look for some spells that like are kind of iconic or but they underperform later or they just don't match up well kind of against some things. Right, we've had years now to kind of look at how some of these things are actually being used in play. Uh, and that gives us a good idea about kind of what spells just aren't kind of hitting the mark. I'm thinking of like, you know, magic weapon, um, which I don't believe is being called magic weapon anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was wondering if someone would like to take that one and run with uh, the kind of that, that spell family and talk about how those have changed uh, as well. Because I think, you know, one of the things, again, we, we, started to look at spells and we're like, this spell is great for where it's at, but it doesn't really perform well later on. Yeah. Um, we've, we've removed um, Magic Weapon and Magic Fang, and we have Runic Weapon and Runic Body, which are kind of similar effects that they can, you know, give somebody uh, a bonus and striking on their attacks. Um, those are both on the Primal list. There's no longer kind of a split because we also removed the metal anathema thing from Druid because that was kind of not really holding up its uh, thematic story end of things in our setting. Um, it was more of an OGL holdover. Um, and both of those now scale. So um, they aren't as aggressive as like how big a punch you get out of the first level ones, um, but they are still good options to have in your back pocket if you, know, you run into that fight where it's like, okay, my primary weapon isn't going to cut it against this enemy but I can get this spell on my backup weapon and now it's going to be uh, far ahead. Or, you know, the wizard's the only one in position to attack um, and we really need to, you know, use physical attacks against this thing, but their weapon is crap because they've been buying staves and wands and stuff. Uh, they have that, uh, that kind of backup for their runic weapon spell to improve their chances to hit and do more damage. Very, very exciting stuff. I've also heard from a little birdie that we've done some changes to the condition removal spells. I was wondering if someone would like to talk about those. That is true. Uh, actually, Landon took uh, took the the wheel for this one and did some really cool mm -hmm. stuff with the condition removal spells. These this is another spot where Legacy was really just like, would we have done a spell that only removes paralysis if we were starting them from scratch? Not really. Uh, so people who want to play, you know, condition removing, you know, healers uh, are going to have a lot better options. Uh, there are there's a kind of a body uh, agility themed one. There's kind of a, a you know bodily toughness one, and then there's a mind one. So they kind of correspond to the saving throws and to the clumsy, enfeebled, um, and other one conditions. Uh, <laughs> um, and those also like if they don't counteract the effect, but they came close, they are going to shut it off temporarily. So you're much, much, much more likely to get some bang out of those spells, even if you're casting them in the middle of combat and you know just trying to get your allies' debuff removed. You'll at least get a temporary benefit out of that, which I think is going to make uh, make those more satisfying to cast by a pretty good margin. Stupefied was the one you missed, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, I, th I think you know that does mention a good point that is worth bringing up here just briefly. Um, is that um, if we tried to include everyone who had a hand in making the remaster happen in this panel, we would look like, uh, you know, uh, we were playing tic-tac-toe. There'd be so many people on the screen. Uh, it looked like the Muppet show. There's just a wall of people, yeah. right? There, everyone in the department has had a hand in this. I don't want to pretend like, you know, it's just, just the, the handful of us. Um, there's a lot of folks involved with this that have done some great work uh, from all across the team. But we're not done with spells just yet. I'm going to bring us drag us back to spells because there's at least one or two things left here that i i want i want more spoilers 
Um, All right, who has the chapter open? Just start reading it. No, yeah, it's a long chapter. It's going to take a while. For acid grass. This this panel just became all of PaizoCon. All right. Uh, (laughs) I would like to talk about the new ice. You can go. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say one thing that we have teased people about that uh, they're really waiting to hear some details on is some of these changes to focus spells, because those actually Mm. affect, affect a pretty significant number of characters in the game. Uh, and we've opened the door and we've let people know that we're making some changes there, but we haven't really given them any details on what those changes are. And I know, Logan, you were really leading the charge on uh, making sure that these changes happen. So do you maybe want to let those people watching know what some of the things we did to uh, streamline focus spells were? Um, I will, but if they had guessed what it is, it's probably going to be exactly what you have expected. Um when you refocus, spend 10 minutes refocusing, you get back a focus point. It doesn't matter if you've used any focus points, that restriction is gone. Uh, so if you've got a focus pool of three and you spend 30 minutes refocusing, you get back all your points. Uh, that also means that the feats we had that um, could get you back two when you refocus or get you back three, now there's just one feat and it gives you back your full pool for a 10-minute refocus. So that's streamlined, simplified, uh, faster to use, let you play with your toys more. I like to classify that change in the bucket of most people. There's a lot of folks who thought it worked that way anyway. So, uh, yeah, might as well. Might as well. So uh, we are going to take a break here in just a moment because we've been talking for an hour. We're going to take a short five-minute break here in just a moment. But before we do, I, I just want one more spoiler. James, James, talk to me about cantrips. You, you, I never got to talk wanna, about my ice cantrip. <laughs> yeah, cantrips. I want to hear about <laughs> yeah. cantrips. Yeah, so cantrips, I love cantrips. Um, Cantrips are a thing that, you know, you'll use a lot throughout your whole career. And so as part of this, uh, you know, Logan uh, also did a a huge amount of work kind of refiguring out what the uh, sort of, what are the suite of abilities we want here? So we took a lot of the kind of more legacy cantrips and we gave them a bit of a refresh. And uh, I think that they're really cool. We have something like the frostbite cantrip, which uh, puts like an orb of ice around somebody, but it also, uh, if they critically fail, will give them a weakness to to bludgeoning. So that's a thing that, um, you know, uh, might allow for some kind of more dynamic team combos. You have a fighter up there with like a big hammer and you say, well, do I want to, you know, fling weapons at them with uh, telekinesis or no, my fighter has a big hammer. So I should, you know, try to use frostbite uh, that might, uh, open up this kind of tactical combination. So that's kind of a thing that we looked at both in what the existing cantrips are and with some of the newly added ones, just because, you know, they're things that you can cast literally unlimitedly. So we wanted to be sure that they were, you know, kind of offering some some cool uh, some cool little interactions where they could. There's some there's some fun stuff. Oh, and you have the ignition one that sure. just lights people on fire. That's that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how could you not mention the light people on fire feed? It's one of my favorite. <laughs> I wanted because I wanted to talk about the about the ice orb feed. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, we've been talking for a little over an hour here. I want to give the panelists just a, a brief break to go get another beverage to power through the rest of this. So, folks, we are going to take a real short break, uh, about five minutes tops, uh, and we will be right back. And we're back. 
Hello, everyone. We, we just finished uh, talking about the player core. We walked through the classes. We talked about spells. We spoiled stuff all over the place. We didn't even spoil how we were changing crafting and make it easier. Maybe we'll spoil that later. Um, you know, there's so much in that book that is exciting, but we have three other books we want to talk about. Now, the next one we want to spend some time talking about. The last two we're going to be a little lighter on because they're a bit further out in the process. But we're going to start off here by turning our attention to the GM Core, the other book that releases this November as part of the Remaster Project. So, Logan, why don't you start us off by talking about the GM Core, its goals, what, what it contains, what's, what's the book about? Uh, the GM Core is all the stuff you need to run and build your games in one book. Um, this was one where once we started getting into the nitty gritty of it, it was like, oh, it's going to be so nice to have all this in one place. Um, all the advice uh, and the hard rules of running a game that are in the core rulebook are combined with the even more expansive advice that was in the game mastery guide uh, and just kind of streamlined and easier to find. Um, this is also one where um, Sonia Morris has done the layout on these and has added new navigational elements. It's going to be so much easier to find everything. That's true of all these books, but this is one where it's just like extremely, extremely useful to have that. Um, so it's going to uh, start off with an entire chapter about running the game, and then it's going to get into building your games. That's everything from the campaign and setting level down to making monsters and hazards and all that items, all that cool stuff. Uh, and then it's got a chapter on the Lost Omen setting. Uh, it's got a chapter on subsystems, which is very similar to the one in Game Mastery Guide with a few uh, modifications we'll talk about in a little bit. And then a huge chapter on magic items, alchemical items, and other treasure, uh, which, again, that includes the ones that were formerly in the core rulebook, a bunch from APG, a bunch of new ones, and the bits that were in Game Mastery Guide, like relics, artifacts, uh, cursed items, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really just like, uh, a plethora of cool stuff all in one spot. It really is kind of one-stop shopping for the GM. This this book has everything that they need all in one convenient place. Um, I do want to keep going to break now and coming back to see if Logan is slowly being stalked by more and more monsters in his background. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we, nope. I don't we see nothing. All about. right. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so um, we did a lot with uh, you know this book. Obviously, contains a lot of the subsystems. Uh, that folks have come to know and love. Um, I, I, I think some of them got some love and some changes. Does does anybody want to talk about those a little bit? Mike? Um, uh, Mike, uh, when you some stuff with chases? Chases, maybe? Yeah, uh, so chases. We have made a slight modification to the math of chases to make them uh, a little more player-friendly. Uh, the math was very kind of tight before, and it could lead to a situation where, uh, sometimes the best way to engage was to tell half the party, like, go sit over there, you're not going to make things better by participating. Uh, and that's, that's no longer the chase. Uh, <laughs> case. Oh. Chase. Oh, come on. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Sorry, it was an accident, I swear. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, no, but they're going to be uh, they're going to be a little bit smoother. Um, the research subsystem is something that James Case and I have talked about a few times, and uh, James has actually used. I think one of my favorite examples of the research subsystem appears in a secret adventure that James wrote. Uh, and so, James, do you maybe want to talk a little bit more about what you did while you were in there? Yeah. 
Um, I think the research subsystem is a good example of one where we didn't really make changes to the core of how the system works. You know, the way that you kind of get research points was, you know, it was hitting the pace of the adventure in the way we kind of wanted it to, but it wasn't maybe the clearest to the GM, not just here's how the system works, but here's how to construct your adventure around it. So the research subsystem now has a lot more guidance around, um, you know, for instance, if you want to use the research subsystem to uh, encourage your PCs to explore a giant mine or something, where to place the various uh, checks, what kind of skills you might use there to kind of use this, this way to kind of guide them through the dungeon or the castle or whatever you have them exploring, as well as how you might use it in exploration mode. You know, if you're going through, if you're going through your haunted castle or whatever, and it's more physical, maybe you're going to have to fight between area and area. But maybe if this is a more social exploration encounter, maybe you have to like convince a ghost that you have permission to access this part of the library. So it's really just an example of not really changing the core system, but looking at kind of how people have been interacting with it and the adventures we've put out and being like, okay, well, maybe here's a little more guidance and a little more tools we can give GMs so they can really tell that story in their game as, as easily as possible. Yeah, and a lot of that and is kind of figuring out when you should use it and when you shouldn't use it. And this is going to clear that up, I think, more for, for GMs to, uh, to use it to its best ability. Speaking of subsystems, I think there was one that got some, some, some fun changes in it, and that, that's vehicles. Logan, you want to talk about vehicles? Yeah, vehicles, most of the core of it was good, but the main thing we said is, what if we put in more vehicles? Um, and so we've picked up some of the, uh, some of the coolest vehicles from uh, Lost Omens Grand Bazaar, uh, and we've also got a little bit of new stuff in there. One of the ones that uh, Dustin Knight suggested while working on this was the hot air balloon. Uh, so there's going to be a few uh, fun new vehicles. We've also restructured that section by land, air, and sea. Uh, so it'll be a little quicker to kind of find the vehicles you're looking for uh, when you want to introduce those into your game. I can finally do my Around Galarian in 80 Days adventure. <laughs> doing Hold on, let me check the travel year. speed table. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if We should do the math. If that doesn't work out, we should fix it. <laughs> um. You know, this book also contains a setting section, right? You know, uh, um, there there is a there is a piece in here talking about the settings and kind of talking about the planes. And you know, folks have had a lot of questions about the planes, especially the outer planes, because some of them were kind of coded to to alignment. Um, does anybody want to talk about how the planes got updated for this? Yeah, the main thing with the planes is that we switched to using terms that are more in Galarian terms. They are uh, like the uh, the Netherworld uh, and uh, some of the other planar names have kind of shifted around a bit to be more specific to the Pathfinder setting. Um, we're also uh, including the elemental planes that were introduced in Rage of Elements. Um, we're also going to have the uh, the same planar diagram that appears in Rage of Elements is also going to appear in the GM core. Um, so there will be a nice map and it will be easier to kind of understand how all the planes relate to one another. Uh, and Eleanor did a whole bunch of work on updating that and some of the other setting sections uh, to to kind of bring them up to up to date and um, make them you know kind of cooler reads. Uh, a lot of the stuff that was in the core rulebook setting chapter has moved here, and then the the uh, player core has kind of a briefer setting uh, breakdown and has the deities in it, um, and then mo more of the like uh, regional descriptions in full up here in GM. I um I really want to shout out Eleanor for uh, her work in kind of going through the setting chapter a lot. You know the the Lost Omens line has been killing it 
constantly uh, um, in kind of fleshing out the inner sea region and beyond. And the inner sea region is a big part of the thing, uh, is a big part of Galarian, and it has all of these interesting, you know, very uh, differently themed areas. And so one of the things that's there that's really nice is just a thing that tells you the kind of general tone of the area. You know, it's just like, you know, the shackles, it's like swashbuckling high seas pirates and, uh, uh, you know, kind of for each region, Ustalav, it's like, you know, spooky, uh, spooky monster area. And it's just a really great way to be like, okay, well, this place seems cool. And this is the genre of game that this will work. with. You can just get there really easily. Let me just say, uh, Logan, I appreciate your, your moving that book so fast that no one can even screen cap it. It's just a blur. <laughs> Uh, that that folks are gonna have to somebody come. screen capped it. I'm sure somebody got it. Folks, folks are gonna have to come to a different panel tomorrow to perhaps get a slower shot of that. Do you think? Do you think you can promise that? All right, is that tomorrow? Yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is tomorrow at 10 a.m. I believe. 10 a.m. Uh, that That's the primal previews panel where we will be talking about, among other things, racial elements. Exactly. Okay. So just just because and, some and people just saw blur. The previously mentioned Around the World's book. Uh, if you if you weren't up to speed on what that is, it's Hell of the Wild, and uh, we'll be talking about that a fair amount tomorrow. It all ties together. All right, I I think you know we I mean, should we should I mean, talk that's the whole uh, the whole idea behind all our lines is that they all tie together, Jason. That's right. Yeah. No. It's, you know what else ties? You know what else ties onto things? Talismans. Hmm. <laughs> that's. That's a segue right there. Well done. I, I think I think this does this is a good spot for us to actually start talking about um some of the really fun stuff in the GM core. Stuff that is new, stuff that is different, which is which is mostly in the treasure section. Now, uh obviously a lot of the things you're gonna find in there are gonna be familiar, right? You know, uh, uh those sorts of a lot of the common items are still in there. But you know, we did take this as a chance to kind of remaster some things and i think it starts at its very base before we before we hop into specific items there is some changes to magic item activation uh mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember who spearheaded yeah. this was this you logan yeah yeah that's me this this basically goes hand in hand with the spell components one because we did <laughs> item activation components that were kind of thematically based around the same concepts and like with spell activations we have condense those down to their traits so it's a little easier to read and use an item. The other thing we did that I think is really fun uh, is on items that are permanent items that have activations, we've given you kind of a thematic name of what that activation is. So rather than just like activate two actions, a series of traits, and then a long sentence of what happens, there's going to be a little name. So it'll be like activate, shoot a fireball or whatever. Um, I don't think we have one that says that exactly, but you know, nothing's stopping <laughs> us. Uh, so I think that's especially for ones that have multiple activations going to make those a little more clear to use and uh, give the players a better idea of what they uh, what the items do when you activate. Yeah, I, I I think you know that combined with kind of combing through the items themselves to look for items that kind of weren't performing or perhaps weren't as flavorful as they could be um, was was kind of the big lift in this book. Um, and and I actually uh, spearheaded one of those, which was talismans. So I'd like to chat about those here just a hair. Um, I believe we have a, a slide of some of the art, um, but I, I do want to talk, uh, some of this is stuff you've seen, some of it's from the uh, deck, but uh, I do want to talk a bit about how talismans change in the game, because one of the things that we noticed is that talismans, um, frankly, were, were kind of not pulling their weight. A lot of them were designed to kind of make you a little better at a thing you were already good at, 
Um, and some of them just had kind of overwrought ways that you use them. So let me give you a specific example here. I want to talk about the bronze bull pendant. Pretty straightforward item. Uh, it was a free action to use. It had a trigger that when you attempt to shove someone using athletics, but you haven't rolled yet, you had to be trained in athletics. And basically, it gave you a small bonus to the check. And if you critical failed, you got a failure instead. Well, that's not a very exciting item, right? It makes something bad happen be not as bad. Uh, and you have to use it before you roll. So you don't know that you've done something bad, which just kind of creates an item that, frankly, most people forget to use. It's just a thing that, that most people don't use in play. So the new version uh, isn't a free action, doesn't have a trigger, doesn't have a requirement. It just is a one action item to use it. It gives you a plus one bonus on the check. And it says you increase the distance you shove the target by to 10 feet on a success and 20 feet on a crit success. So it just makes it better. It's just a better item now. It's not broken. It's not overpowered, but it does do something, frankly, a bit more thematic. It's a little easier to use. It's a little easier to parse. Um, and it's something that, frankly, you would actively use as opposed to use in, in response to maybe I will roll bad. Um, so there was a handful of talismans that got a rework based on that, right? You know, um, looking at, you know, some of the items had kind of high level prerequisites that required you to kind of be a expert or a master in a thing, which meant you were already really good at it. And then it gave you a bonus at it. Whereas, um, you know, we tried to make some of these be items that frankly were just easier for the entire table to use so that you could pull it out as a bag of tricks, right? Um, so Gallo's Tooth lost its kind of trigger, just like the, the Bronze Bull tablet and lost the Intimidate requirement. But the rest of the effect is pretty much the same, right? Um, uh, in line with the changes to Magic Weapon, uh, we made Potency Crystals that scale, right? So there's now a Greater Potency Crystal and a Major Potency Crystal that give you plus two Greater Striking and plus three Major Striking, right? You know, uh, these are new kind of ways to use talismans uh, in your game. And that, that doesn't mean we didn't include a new talisman as well. Uh, we included the Alloy Orb, which is a talisman that turns your weapon into a special material for, for a brief period of time, right? So talismans really needed some work to kind of pull their full weight in the game. And frankly, I'm pretty excited for folks to get a chance to play around with them. Uh, now, there's there's some other fun stuff I have to talk about, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead and talk about some other things. Mike, I was wondering if you could share some exciting news with folks about shields. Yeah, so uh, in the outline for this panel, I actually have a note that says, please don't take this moment from me. I, uh, <laughs> I, I did an interview with How It's Played where I told people three facts. I said, we do not have a rune named Sturdy in this book. We do still have Sturdy Shields uh, and something else I don't remember, but I told you to come talk to me at PaizoCon. So I kind of intentionally misled people as I warned up front. We do, in fact, now have a type of shield rune. It's just not called Sturdy. It's called Reinforcing. And the reinforcing rune can be etched on shields to improve their durability and hardness. Uh, this will mean the sturdy shield is still the premier blocking shield in the game. But if you have a magic shield that you really like, and you also want to be able to use it to shield block without it you know, taking more than one hit and then exploding on your arm, you can apply reinforcing runes to it, and that shield can accompany you for as much of the game as you want it to accompany you for. Uh, this is a thing that I know people have really wanted and that they've been really excited to see. And I know when the Treasure Vault book dropped, people were like, hey, I love these new shields, but my character wants to shield block 
And I don't feel like I can do that with this. Well, this should solve that problem for you. Uh, these are going to fit pretty neatly into the current ecosystem of the shields. They're going to expand the number of options that people can use for blocking shields very significantly. Uh, and I think that's going to be a recurring conversation on the forums that is probably not going to recur as often anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly very excited about it. I think, I think shields were one of those things that, you know, we were designed them to be kind of either you had a flavorful shield that did something cool that you never blocked with, or you had a blocking shield that didn't do anything flavorful. And, and I think it just frustrated everybody. Right? It's just like, they, yeah. I want a cool shield that I can also block with sometimes. And and this really does allow that to happen. It it still makes kind of a premier blocker that isn't that isn't super exciting, but it is the premier blocking shield. But the other ones can now play along. I think that's just great. Um, uh, let's see. There and, are some and new because items. I know we'll get the question. Uh, we we are not adding property runes to shields, mostly because they are in that category Jason talked about, where they do cool things already. Um, and we yeah. didn't really want to say like, oh, if you're a sword and board character, you have to spend all your money on upgrading six different runes to your weapons armor and shield and that's kind of where all your resources are going because that's just you know that's pretty boring so we um you know there are some uh just whole cloth additions to this chapter some things that were brought in from other books and stuff um uh, we did add assistive items to this this mix didn't we yeah uh we this is a section that has um Really, I think first took the lead in Lost Women's Grand Bazaar uh, and then was expanded in Guns and Gears. And so we took um, really all of the basic assistive items out of that combination of books, put them in here, along with some of our uh, really excellent guidance for that, which was originally done by, I believe, Sarah Thompson, um, uh, with some of the later editions. And, uh, you know, those are there, along with the rest of the treasure, as well as some of the general guidance uh, to GMs about, you know, integrating characters with disabilities into the into the game the really short answer is please integrate them and in, you know integrate them into the game um there's no reason why your adventurers can't be adventuring in their wheelchairs or um you know using things even as basic as hearing aids or corrective lenses so that's um we didn't we were really focusing on the basics so it's just uh it's maybe not the uh you know level 17 uh, storm chair that surrounds yourself in a ball of epic level lightning but we wanted to be sure that those were in in core in part because it makes them easier to expand in uh, later books down the line as well. So that foundation is there. Yeah, I should say they uh, the core like basic items like the traveler's chair are in player core um, along with oh, thank you, you know you. your you know your your other kind of first level stuff. So it has like uh, I think corrective lenses, traveler's chair, uh, some of those other mm -hmm. like basic basic prosthesis. Uh, yeah, basic prosthesis. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of other changes to this chapter from little things like rebalancing poisons. You know, there were a few poisons that were way out of whack, uh, you know, to, to taking care of some of those <laughs> things, to balancing other items, to swapping out uh, some, some, some classics with some new flavorful stuff. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of most excited about is staves uh, and the changes to staves. Uh, staves is one of the few other places in the game where the schools of magic were kind of imprinted in the game in its mechanics and that's because we had staffs of abjuration and staffs of conjuration and yada 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 so we knew that with with schools um uh being sunsetted in that way we wanted to make sure that the staves remained kind of fun and exciting so this gave us a chance to kind of take some of those concepts and focus on those as well so 
you know, you might you might not see the staff of evocation in the book anymore, but you will see the staff of elemental power, right? Which comes in three different varieties, uh, scaling up through levels, giving you a wide variety of spells and a new kind of cool uh, a base bonus to help you identify elemental creatures. So, like, it, you know, uh, it, it it has a lot of the same spells that you might have seen on the staff of evocation, but we trim some in some places to bring them tighter in line with a new theme. So it gives you frostbite and breathe fire and pummeling rubble and thunderstrike and a whole bunch of spells that nobody knows what they are uh, uh but you know some of these are our new uh spells from the player core as well in addition to the staff of elements power you got things like the staff of the dead i like this one a lot because it it has a bunch of the summon undead spells from the player core my fellow panelists are probably all shaking their head because I'm just using this as an excuse to name drop spells, uh, you know, uh, but it gives you Grim Tendals and, and Void Warp and Vampiric Feast and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, that, you know, um, that doesn't mean there aren't a few kind of newer staves in here. Um, like we, we did want to create the big high and mighty uh, arcane staff. So we made a staff of arcane might. This is a super high level staff that you can snap to create kind of an arcane explosion uh, that's in a cone uh, that doesn't necessarily destroy you this time, but it will destroy your staff uh, and leave <laughs> you without one. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is a lot of fun stuff to, to find in staves. You'll find that staves, by and large, aren't mechanically different. Um, they still contain a bunch of spells. You still charge them up the same way. Um, you know, nothing about that has changed, but we did go in and kind of remix the staves that are in the core or in the GM core and give you kind of new fun stuff to play with. Is there anything else we want to talk about in the GM core, folks? Um, just a little bit more on items. We also, because of the yeah. mix of classes in Bear Core, uh, we also made sure that like the Walking Cauldron is in here. Um, there's a Crown of Witchcraft that's a focused item. There's some some stuff to make sure those classes are set because we are planning to include a bunch of items in player core two as well. Uh, so that's going to be if there's something that's missing, like a primarily like alchemist items and that kind of thing, um, you can expect it to appear when those classes do in that book. Uh, and this book is going to cover like the basics for everybody and the specific stuff for the player core classes. All right. Um, well, let's, uh, you know, we, we're burning through a lot of time here. We have like less than 20 <laughs> minutes left. We still have two books to cover, so we're going to have to be a little light on these. But frankly, these books are further out. So you're going to hear us talk more about these uh, at Gen Con and in the coming months, you know, these books aren't until next year. But let's talk a bit about Monster Core. And, and obviously the big thing we've talked about here with the Monster Core are the new dragons. And I'll get to those in just a second. But I do want to kind of talk about the Monster Core book as a whole uh, and, and kind of what folks can expect and what folks can see, uh, expect to see on this. I know Eleanor has been doing a lot of great work on this. Um, uh, if somebody wants to take the reins and kind of talk about the remit of this book. Uh, this book is, uh, it's a foundational monster book. So it fills a similar role to the first bestiary. Um, it's just kind of slotting in some things, slotting out others. Uh, updating some creatures either to the new rules, that's especially ones that had to deal with alignment, uh, or, you know, putting in, uh, you know, some creatures that didn't appear to like bestiary two or three that we feel are prominent enough in the world or are going to be useful enough to your games that they're going to appear in uh, Monster Core. Um, and then there's a few that are like OGL monsters that went away. Uh, we were very conscious about looking at ones that filled a particular niche in adventure building. So like a weird 
uh, gross sewer guy that you can uh, talk to. Uh, we're making sure those slots are still filled, but the monsters that are filling those slots are new and unique to Patham. It's really important to me that you're able to talk to the sewer monster. That's a that's a key part of my love of sewer monsters, that you can have a chat with them about yeah. their favorite self. It's, it's Jason's Jason's favorite thing. It's his only mandate <laughs> in monsters. Yeah, that was it. I was like, do what you need to, but I need to be able to talk to the sewer, the trash monster. <laughs> uh, so so let's let's talk about dragons here real briefly. Uh, and and the dragons are still, frankly, being designed right now. But we are starting to work on their look and theme, right? We've talked about that a lot. So we can start showing off kind of some of the great concept art that we've been have have been creating in-house thanks to uh, Kent Hamilton. He is absolutely amazing. He's been doing concept work for us, creating the looks of the dragons. And here you see the diabolic dragon. Now this is a divine dragon. Our dragons are going to be classified kind of loosely uh, by the traditions of magic. So you'll have divine dragons, arcane dragons, occult dragons, and primal dragons. And the deal with divine dragons is they have some tie to the, the, the planes and the, the sources of power therein. So this dragon is obviously tied to the lower planes. The diabolic dragon is going to have, you're going to see a lot of these guys in hell. You're not going to want to see them there, uh, but you will. Uh, and, and, and that's going to be a real bad time. So it, uh, uh, why don't we go to the next slide? Um, I think, let me see what the next one is. Yeah, so these are some of the earlier concepts here where we were playing around with horn shape and looking at kind of the various ways that this dragon might manifest. We've been doing a lot of work to kind of create dragons that are thematically tied together, that are really unique and interesting. So you can see like similar morphological traits here on these dragons between, uh, you know, little fins and horns and teeth structure and things like that. Ken has been doing some absolutely phenomenal work. And then, you know, uh, he's been working in concert with Wayne to do the covers for these. And that we're really seeing some fantastic work. Let's let's skip forward to the Mirage Dragon next. This, this is an arcane dragon. Um, the Mirage Dragon is really kind of interesting. These early sketches kind of had some, like, seahorse inspirations and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that we kind of came upon with arcane dragons is that we wanted them to have kind of when you look at an arcane dragon, like you see elements of the arcane in their very being. We we started working into like, maybe their scales have like fractal patterning in them. And you see that in the cover that we did, uh, the, the cover to the GM core, you can see on the Mirage Dragon there that its scales start having this fractal repeating pattern on them as if there's a deeper math going on behind them, but you you don't get a sense of that from just looking at them. You you, you have to kind of stare at them hypnotically. Let's take a look at the final slide for, for the dragon here. Um, yeah, uh, actually, this goes back to the Diabolic, so we didn't have a Mirage in here. I wasn't sure on that. So this is kind of getting towards the final sketch version of the Diabolic dragon here. Um, when we get back to the, the cover of the GM core, um, you can really see the kind of fractal patterning in its scales. But you, you have to love the work here that Kent has done um, it, it is really phenomenal work, and I can't wait to show you some more of this. We're going to have more of this in the coming months. I We've started seeing some of the work on the adamantine dragon, um, and it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I am super excited about it. I'd, I'd love to show some of it off, but it's still a little early. Yeah, you can see in the Mirage dragon there how its scales have this weird kind of spiraling fractal pattern. 
we're going to work that in with all of the arcane dragons. That's going to be kind of their thing, right? We we want the dragons to be their own kind of families that those will still exist within dragons. Um, and the families might spread across traditions. That is, that is certainly 100% possible. Um, but the traditions themselves share some commonalities. So, um, that's pretty exciting stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to be done talking about dragons right now because you're going to hear us talk about dragons a lot over the coming months. As we get more and more of the art, um, we're going to be talking more about it. I want to talk about some of the other things folks can find in this book as we are as we are burning through time quickly here. Um, let's talk about uh, fiends and celestials. Who wants to take that briefly? Uh, I'll take that real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very briefly. Uh, so fiends and celestials are one of the ones where uh, those are kind of relying on some OGL monsters. And so there's kind of two ways we looked at that. One is, you know, what existing, you know, demons and devils and such can we slot in that kind of fulfill a similar role and a similar level to kind of make sure we still have a robust selection of these. Uh, and that was easier for some than others. So a lot of them are going to be pickups that you've seen. They're going to be uh, existing Pathfinder uh demons and devils. And then we're going to have a few new ones, which we can't share yet. We don't have art of those. We don't have the full stats for those because this book, again, is a ways off. Uh, but we are kind of looking at like how the hierarchy of, uh, of those planes works. Uh, another interesting change is that the imp uh, is kind of, rather than being a devil, uh, it, it's kind of a general planar monster. If you want to slot in an imp, they can play a lot of different roles across the planes. And we're kind of working on a uh, a new version of those that is again more unique and kind of more widespread. So those are going to be pretty fun. So in the in the in the case of moving things along here, uh, I'm going to toss it over to James Case to talk a bit about one of the monsters that got a bit of a stronger rework in here uh, to kind of make it a stronger piece of the game. James, can you talk to us about Ags? Yeah. Um, so this was really as we went in and we uh remixed and remastered our monsters we all we wanted to ask ourselves like how can we get back to sort of the original source mythology source folklore whatever that is because a lot of these creatures have kind of you know drifted as they've moved from movies to games to all that kind of stuff um and so we've done that in a lot of places uh one is genies which we can talk about more uh when we talk about rage of elements that's a really good example um but one here is uh hags um, this is kind of to speak to what Logan was saying about tying themes together because changelings are in this book. We wanted to have hags be in our, because changelings are in player core, we wanted to put the hags in monster core. Um, they've been reworked pretty thoroughly uh, uh, by Eleanor Farron, who has made them terrifying um, in a very uh, classical old folklore way. Uh, I have a lot of time, so I'll just do my favorite, which is the sweet hag. Um, which has a bunch of charm and bispell effects and the ability to put them within a piece of food, typically a sweet treat or a piece of candy. Um, they're quite, you know, they're getting back to this very kind of uh, classical folklore thing, and they are very terrifying within that, uh, within that kind of structure. So I'm excited about that. And I think, you know, it's important to note that that speaks to kind of our entire philosophy with this book in particular, in that we kind of looked at a lot of our monsters and just kind of took a, a, a good look at them and said, is this doing what it needs to do? Does this serve the original folklore well? Or is it kind of cruft that we carried along with us that has been adapted seven times? And if that's the case, maybe we should just go back to the original source material and, and draw directly from that. And maybe in some cases take a more respectful approach. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about the monster uh, core book. There is so much great stuff in here, but we are so light on time now at this point, and I don't want to have this panel run right up to the next one. So let's move on from monster core. There's going to be plenty of chance for us to talk about this one in the coming months. 
Let's talk a little bit about Player Core 2. Uh, I want to toss it over to you, Logan, just to talk about what people can expect to find in Player Core 2. All right. So Player Core 2, uh, as we said, there are eight classes in Player Core 1. Player Core 2 is going to have the other eight that originally appeared in Core Rulebook and Advanced Player's Guide. Uh, it's also going to have any ancestries that appeared in Advanced Player's Guide or uh, Lost Omens World Guide that have not already been mentioned in Player Core 1, plus the Colo, uh, which are hyena-like people uh, who appeared first in Wongi Expanse as an ancestry. Um, it's also going to have a ton of new spells, uh, a ton of archetypes. If you like the archetypes for Advanced Player's Guide, almost all of those are coming back. There are a couple that are going away for OGL reasons, uh, and a bunch of new items. This is kind of the more stuff book. Uh, one thing I do want to emphasize about this one is the Advanced Player's Guide kind of gives the impression that that is a book for advanced players or their harder classes. That's not necessarily the case here. Uh, this is kind of for everybody who just wants more cool stuff for their Pathfinder game and wants this iffy new version uh, for the remaster. Um, I think that's that's as small as I can get the description of that book, and there will be more in the future. There's going to be more as soon as we start it. <laughs> um. You know, uh, we're, we're running real light on time here. I would, what I would love to do is just toss it around the horn so that folks can talk about their other panels this weekend that are going to be touching on some of the other things that we have going on because it's not just all remaster, right? Uh, you know, we've got other books coming on or coming out between now and next, uh, you know, Gen Con that are exciting. So, and some of those are being covered in other panels. So I want to toss around the horn and just let folks talk about one or two of their other panels that are happening. Some of you are on panels together. Uh, so uh, Logan, take it away. Uh, James and I are going to be on the uh, Primal Previews panel tomorrow at 10 a.m. talking about Rage of Elements, Howl of the Wild, lots more previews and some more monster tidbits for Monster Core about genies you'll find on that panel. Mike. I think Mike is in that panel as well. Mike is also in that panel, yes. So I don't have a ton to add here. Uh, I've, you know, largely been doing a support role for my team over the last few months, and I just want to say they are all awesome. And you won't hear as much from me because the important things to say for this convention are going to come from their mouths. James, yeah, uh, check in on Primal Previews tomorrow for information about Rage of Elements and Hell of the Wild, and I will also be on the Check Yourself Self Editing for Game Writers panel. Uh, tomorrow afternoon with members of the editing uh, team to talk about some ways that you can um, really get your game writing kind of tuned up, that kind of thing. And I will not be on the panel, uh, but um, I would also, uh, I've been very involved in the Tianxia project, and so I encourage you to go bug uh, Luis and Eleanor on the Secrets of Galarian panel about that tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, let me just say, Mike is selling himself short. He has been absolutely pivotal in this process, and he has been a force so. for some of the best changes here. So he is being modest. And when, I'm not and when he does announce his book, you're going to lose your minds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just not here. Uh, so uh, that is super exciting. There's also an amazing panel uh, talking about uh, uh, the, the Darklands and High Helm and all that. I suggest you check that out as well. There's some great stuff coming out for dwarves this year. Um, so that is that is it for this panel here today. Uh, before we go, I want to encourage folks here, if you're excited about the remaster, if you want to learn more, make sure to follow Paizo on all of its various social media platforms and get over to Paizo.com and get yourself a pre-order. That is, unless you want that hobby retailer exclusive cover, I highly recommend you go to your favorite local game store and uh, ask them to hold you a copy, to reserve you a copy today. Those covers are going to be retail exclusive. They are going to sell out fast. If you want one, make sure to go ask for one. Um, 
Folks, if you're interested to learn more about the remaster, we're going to be putting out more blogs here in the coming weeks and months. I don't know we're going to keep the quite the same cadence, but we're going to be giving you more information as we have it. Also, uh, you know, get excited about Gen Con and Rage of Elements. Rage of Elements is the first book that is uh, fully kind of compatible with the remaster. And at the same time, we are going to be releasing a preview document at Gen Con, bringing you up to speed on the changes that are in Rage of Elements. What, what's going on? Logan, you're disappearing behind a book of some sort. Um, uh, it'll give you everything you need to know to use that book at your table and maybe contain a few extra previews as well. Folks, that's all I have for today. I'm going to toss around the horn and let everybody say uh, where you can learn more about them on social media before we call this a day. James, we'll start with you. Oh, hi. I'm James Case. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter, which is in the layover, because when I made my Twitter name, I did not realize I'd have to say it out loud. So there's that. Have <laughs> fun at the con, everyone. Bye. Hey, uh, again, I'm Michael Sayre, the design manager here. You can find me on Twitter at MichaelJSayre1. Uh, I also usually spend a fair amount of time on the Pathfinder 2E subreddit and uh, Paizo.com when I'm able to. I'm Logan Bonner. I'm at Logan Bonner on Twitter. Uh, I do not answer rules questions and will not be answering any questions about alignment, just to set expectations. Back to Jason. <laughs> And I am Jason Bullman. I'm the director of game design here at Paizo. You can find me on all the various social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, uh, at uh, backslash Jason Bullman. I want to thank you all for coming here today. I know this remaster uh, is exciting and folks have a ton more questions. I wish we could have gotten to some, but we're just out of time. There was just too much great stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking more about it on the Discord. Come pester us there. We'll, we'll chat about it here over the, the weekend uh, as we have time. Thank you for watching, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful PaizoCon 2023. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this installment of the PaizoCon Online 2023 seminar coverage, brought to you by Paizo and the No Direction Network. For more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com.